I brought something with me tonight to help me with my sermon. If I can get out of the bag. And uh, just so you can say it, I'm going to preach a lemon tonight. And uh, so I'm, I, I was thinking in life um, about lemons. And you've heard people say, I mean, it's getting summertime and you go to the fair. And one of the things that you like to get at the fair is that fresh squeezed lemonade, right? And uh, I look forward to that. Funnel cakes and uh, elephant ears are the reason you go places like that. And uh, you definitely don't go to ride the rides uh, unless you have a death wish. Uh, stay off the rides, just eat the food, and you'll mostly be okay. Um, but uh, I, I was thinking about the, that phrase, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And uh, the, the realistic part of that is that it's not the lemons that, when life gives you, that bothers us. I mean, we have, you've, you ever had a car that was a lemon? Uh, that's why they have the lemon law with vehicles. And I remember my first vehicle when I, when I graduated from uh, high school and I got a car. I had an uncle that had a good deal for me. And uh, you know those uncles that, uh, hey, really, you're looking for a car? I got one for you. Uh, you know, just be aware of that uncle that has the deal on the car for you. But my uncle... Doug had a, had a deal for me, and it was a 1981 Renault Reliant. If you don't know what that is, you're lucky. Uh, a Renault Reliant is not a car that you want, and I don't even know if they make them anymore. But uh, this car had a mind of its own. I would drive it, and I, I would go to college. I'd get in that car and I would drive to college and all of a sudden, for no reason, the car would shut off. I mean, I'm going 65 miles an hour if I can get it going that fast down the highway and all of a sudden, in traffic, out of traffic, in the country, in the city, it didn't matter, it would shut off like that. And you just pull off to the side of the road and then you try to start it and sometimes it starts and sometimes it doesn't. And you just keep trying to start the car and trying to start the car and trying to start the car and eventually it, it starts and when it does, you put it in gear very quickly and get going because you don't know when the thing is going to shut off the next time. But it isn't the lemons in life that bother us. It's not the bad things necessarily that come into our life. What is the problem in life is that in order to, if, if I were to give you a lemon, that wouldn't matter. It's the squeezing of the lemons that give you the lemonade. It's not the lemon in your life. It's the squeezing of that lemon that has come into your life that causes us difficulty. We all get into places, we all get into situations, we all get into things where it's not necessarily the problem that bothers us, it's that that problem squeezes us. And we don't like to be squeezed. Little kids learn that from an early stage. You go to family reunions, you go see grandma, and what's the first thing they do? Is they pinch your cheeks. And you're like, mom, She's going to pinch my cheeks. It's okay. We only see her once a year. But mom, she's going to pinch my cheeks. 
It's the squeezing. It's that hug. There was a lady that, uh, that she, she was a hugger. And you know those people that are huggers, they have to hug. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an option. It's not a, I mean, you, you know they're a hugger. You stick your hand out, they walk right past the hand, and it's a hug. And there was a lady that was in my life, and uh, she was uh, quite a bit older than me, but she was a hugger. But she was also a sweater. And you know those huggers and sweaters. You walk away, and it's just kind of like, you know those people? It's, it's, and they're always tight huggers. They're always, it's always a tight hug. And you're thinking, why? Why can't we just shake hands just once? Why can't it be my way? But it's never just our way. It is that life not only gives us lemons, but life sometimes squeezes us. I heard this statement a while back. And it says, some lessons can't be learned in a seminary. They have to be learned in a cemetery. Some lessons in life can't be learned in a seminary. They have to be learned in a cemetery. And you think of how true that is. That you don't know what somebody's going through. You can, you can pretend and you can say, man, I, I feel for you or I'm, I'm praying for you, or I'm, 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 my heart is with you, but you don't know what's going on in their life unless you've walked in their shoes. And tonight we're going to look at a passage. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is being squeezed. You know, we don't start out in life in relationships thinking that we're going to get squeezed. That uh, I've been counseling a, a couple that's going to get married. And you sit there and you listen to this couple as they're talking about getting married. And, and uh, one of the things we went through was their budget. And I said, all right, put on paper how much money you make. Let's take both of your incomes, let's put it together, and let's see, go through and see how you're going to live. They put that number on the paper. I'm like, okay, so... What other monies do you have to live on? And they said, we don't. I said, so like, you're going to have a place of your own? You're not living with your parents or something? You're, you're actually going to like, you have an apartment? Yes, we do. And you have a car. You're going to pay for the car too. Well, it's an older car. and Okay, so let's go through this budget. And you go through the budget and there's money for for housing, there's money for food, and there's money for clothes, and there's always in these, in, with kids that are getting married today, there's always money in the budget for games. Like there's an Xbox account, there's a video game account, there's something. It seems that that video game has risen to the level of housing. If I'm going to have housing, I have to have video games. One of, I have to have both of those. And I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm going, okay, so, so do you anticipate your car is going to break down? Yeah, but my dad always fixes it. Okay, but now that you're married, your dad's not always going to fix it. And people, they start out in marriage, and it's such an exciting thing. You don't need anything. All you need is love. Right? That's all you need. You only need love. That's the only thing that, I mean, the world can fall apart, but as long as you have each other, you can make it through. 
But there is a long way between a wedding day and a silver anniversary. You see those old couples that sit, they've been married for 50, 60, 70 years. They're sitting in a restaurant and they still sit beside each other. And you look at them and you think, what is it? How do you guys still like each other after all of these years? What is going on in your marriage that you guys still love each other? My grandfather and grandmother, they were married for 65 years. And when my grandfather was 91, he had open heart surgery. He had a, a, either a triple or quadruple bypass. And he, this was the first time he's ever been in the hospital, uh, kind of like Oscar, never sick. And all of a sudden, open heart surgery. And he goes in at 91. He goes into the hospital. He's in one day. He has the surgery. He stays one day. He's out the third day. And we, I brought him home. And I remember watching him because here he's 91 and my grandmother is 87 or 88. She's in the house. And my grandfather begins to sneak into the house. Here's a 91-year-old man sneaking I'm like, what is he doing? And he gets to the door of, he, they were living with my parents. He gets to the door of the room that my grandmother and grandfather lived in, and he peeks around the door. He doesn't just walk in like, I mean, she knew he was coming home. He peeks around the door and kind of looks at her, and he stands there, and he waits for her to notice. And I'm thinking, I don't know what he has, but I want that. When I'm 91 and she's behind me, uh, I want that. But there are a lot of lemons that have been squeezed. A lot of problems, a lot of difficulties that have happened between the wedding day and the silver anniversary. When that child is born, you remember that first one? I was talking to Josh and Courtney this morning about the difference between the first baby and the second baby. And that first one you bring home and you have to sterilize everything. Nothing can touch the ground. The baby can't touch the ground. By the time you get to three or four, you're just glad that they're still alive. Right? They're eating dirt. Good. I don't have to feed them tonight. You're, you don't even care at that point. You're just glad that they're still alive. You give your three-year-old the responsibility of watching that one, okay? Just make, take care of it. Uh, that first baby, when you bring him home, and it's amazing, people always said it goes that fast, and they're 25 years old. But you know, there is a long, a long way between bringing that baby home and that baby turning 25. There's a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties, it's the squeezing of life. It's that squeezing of life, and you know people like this, or maybe you're like this. It's that squeezing in life that causes people to stand back and have their face pressed against the glass, watching life go by, rather than getting involved in life. Why don't you get involved? Why don't you do something? I've been hurt too many times. Why don't you help out here? Why don't you, why don't you get more involved with your kids? I've been hurt 
too many times. And they stand there and they watch. And instead of getting involved, they're, they're watching their life go by. And you talk to people and they, yeah, I haven't talked to my uh, sister in 20 years. Why not? They hurt me. I'm not doing that. And they watch life go by. And we can learn a lesson from Jesus tonight about rather than letting life go by and rather than being hurt by the problems and things that happen in life, getting involved and seeing that there is a correct response to the squeezing of things in our life, the squeezing of situations in our life. Matthew chapter 26 and starting in verse number 36. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 36. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place. Now we know that this place is Gethsemane, but he came to a place. Do you know that sometimes God wants things from you that you don't want for yourself? Jesus said, I am the maker. You are the clay. And he will twist us and he will mold us and he will make us in any way that he sees fit. And sometimes it's things we don't want. Sometimes it's situations that we would rather go without. It's sometimes we look at God and we say, God, why are you squeezing me so hard? And God says, I'm trying to bring you into a place that I can do something with you. But we have to realize that that place is oftentimes a place that we don't want to be in. And sometimes that place is the place that keeps us from the next step, the next phase, the next spot, the next stop in life. Because we get so caught up with that place that God has brought us that we fail to move on to what he's trying to get us to do. And we stop in that place. And if you're going through problems and difficulties in your life, if you have that squeezing, and if you're being squeezed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it is that squeezing that makes you want to stop and say, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I saw Dick this morning, and I said, Dick, are you going to be at church tonight? He said, why, are you preaching on sin? I said, yeah. He said, all right, well, I'll be there then. As I was preparing for the message this morning, I thought about the bishops and how life has squeezed them. But every time I see Dick, he has got a smile on his face and he is a hugger. Luckily, he's not a sweaty hugger. But he's a hugger. And he hugs me and I see a man and I see a woman that God has squeezed. God has brought them to a place, but they found the secret. They found the secret. It's, if you ask them, do, do you want God to squeeze you anymore? They would probably say, 
I don't think I have anything left. I don't think there's anything there that God can squeeze any more from. But God is trying to do a work in their life. And God is using them to do a work in my life. And God is using them to do a work in your life. And that is the way that God does his work in other people's lives. It's by squeezing you so that what's in you comes out to infect those around you. Nobody likes being squeezed. And if we were to go around this room tonight and start in the front, and go all the way up and down these aisles and end up over here, each one of us would have a story about how God is squeezing our life or how God has squeezed our life. And I bet if we took testimony, we would have people say, when God took me to that place, I gave up. I stopped. I said, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. You can squeeze me all you want. I'm done. But then maybe you came back to God. Maybe you allowed God to use that circumstance and that situation. In verse number 36, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place. You see here that Jesus was with them, the disciples. And you know this story already. And you know that the disciples had no clue what was going on. Don't you get frustrated, the disciples, as you read the story? I mean, we know they fall asleep. And you think, seriously? You're with Jesus. He's told you before, if you go back a couple, couple verses, a couple chapters, he's told you he's going to be crucified. He's telling you the end is here, and he asks you just to pray with him for a little while and look at you. You can't do it. They had no clue that Jesus was going into a squeezing place. You know, sometimes in life, people see you going through a place that is squeezing you. We could all see Dick and Jan, and we saw that they were being squeezed. We could all see it. But there are people in this room tonight that God is squeezing you, and nobody knows. Nobody has a clue. Nobody sees the problems going on in your life. Nobody sees God putting the pressure on, yet you sit here tonight and you're struggling just to make it through because you're squeezed so hard and you're begging God to let the pressure up. God, just please let it up a little bit. God, please let it up. And nobody knows what you're going through. And there will be times where people will see and there will be times where people won't see. And what we have to understand is that those people around us may be going through a difficult time and our job as brothers and sisters in Christ is to stop and encourage them. Encourage one another. It ought to be that when we come in here that we are so happy when we leave, we say, it was a great thing that I went to the house of the Lord today. People ought to walk out of here going, I don't know what those people are on, but it was awesome. I'm going back. It must be those donuts. Because there's obviously something. It's got to be the coffee. There's something. But you don't know who's being squeezed tonight. 
And are you being an encouragement and a strength to those around us? Then Jesus, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. I've never been to the Holy Land and, and I see this trip that the church is going on and I think, boy, it would be great to go to the Holy Land. Anybody been to the Holy Land you've visited? You have a few people that have. One of the places that they take you is Gethsemane. And I hear that Gethsemane is a beautiful place. And from this, I gather that even though you are in a beautiful place, you could still have an ugly problem that you're dealing with. You could have the beautiful baby come home and yet find out that there's a problem that you have to deal with. You can get married and the joy of being married and you can find out that there's a problem, a health problem that you have to deal with. Just this week, just this week, <clears throat> I've heard of five or six families that have had major car accidents. One, a lady was coming home from a meeting, a, a church meeting that she was at, and she was uh, broadsided. Barb was saying that her grandson, after graduation, the joy of graduation, after graduation was hit and his femur was broken. You can be in a great place and still have a problem come. And Jesus here was in the garden and he had this problem and he said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death, tarry here and watch with me. When we're going through a problem, don't you want somebody to watch with you? Don't you want somebody to connect with you? <clears throat> I remember when uh, we had our first child, the first thing I learned was that we went to Lamaze class and they taught you how to breathe. I don't know if they still do Lamaze classes anymore or not. But I thought, after going through the process, what a waste. The only thing I had to learn was the phrase, give her the epidural. That's all I had to learn. <clears throat> and if I would learn that, everything was okay. But they taught you how to breathe. And the, I don't remember, breathe in, out, and different puffs and all these different kinds of things. And so I was, as a supportive husband, I was trying to learn how to breathe the proper way so that when we got there, I could encourage her and help her. And I felt like after a little bit, you know, being that supportive husband that she was like, if you don't stop it, I'm going to pull your lip over the top of your head. No, she wasn't really like that. But I would sit there and, and I would tell her as she was hooked up to the machines, I would tell her, hey, hon, I think there's another contraction coming. And she would look at me like, what are you, an idiot? I can feel there's another contraction coming. I don't need you to tell me that there's another contraction. But I'm just trying to be there to be supportive. That's my job. I mean, I have two things. Make sure she's breathing and be supportive. 
And she says, I understand that. Just be quiet. Yes, ma'am. Let me know when I can breathe. And we go through a contraction, and, it, and, and then I tell her, hey, I think it's going away now. <laughs> really? Of course it's going away now. I know. I'm going through the pressure, but I like having somebody here with me. Don't you enjoy that when you go through a problem, that there's somebody you know that you can go to and they will instantly connect with what you're facing? I look at the men and women in this room who have lost spouses. I have no idea what it's like to lose a spouse, and I don't want to know. But you have been through, I've been through seminary, but you've learned a lesson in a cemetery that I won't learn until I walk down that path. But you all, as Connie, I look at her smiling face, and on Friday she was at a funeral encouraging people because she's walked a path. And I know that any lady in this church that has lost a spouse could go to Connie and her little group of friends or gang of friends, whatever she calls them, and in that group will find the support and the help that they're looking for. And that's what it's like in life is that we get to these places and we are looking for somebody and Jesus was looking for his disciples. He said, I can't take all of you, but there's three of you. My three trusted ones, you're the ones that I'm hoping will walk with me through this thing. And he takes them and he is begging them to please walk with me through this trial. When somebody comes to you and is going through a difficult thing, walk with them. Support them. Help them through that problem, through that difficulty. In verse 39, and he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he comes unto his disciples and finds them asleep. And I want you to see that he left them again in verse number 43. He says, and he came and found them asleep again. And go down to verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, sleep on now. Three times he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Do you know in life sometimes when there's a problem, when there's a pressure, when we're being squeezed, we go to things that don't work. Jesus wanted his disciples to be there for him, but three times he went to those disciples and three times his disciples failed him. And he went to those things. And how many times in our life do we face problem, do we face difficulty, and we keep going back to that thing that doesn't work? Those people that go through problems, they go through difficulty, they lose their job, and what do they do? They run to alcohol. They go through problems in their marriage, and they run to alcohol. They go through family situations, the death of, death of, a, of a loved one, and what do they do? They run to alcohol. And that problem is never solved. confession time when I go into problems when I go into difficulty it doesn't look like it but I like to eat I go binge eating you say seriously like one plate of food 
Does that help? No, but it sure makes me feel good. Sticking my head under those chocolate fountains, letting the chocolate run off my face. It helps for a moment. Some people, they love to go shopping. I don't have any money. Let's go shopping. What are you shopping for? I don't know. I can't help it. Running to those things that don't work. And Jesus, we see here that this is not something that is uncommon. It says he was tempted in like fashion as we are. And he ran to this thing. And three times we see he went to his disciples and said, please, will you pray? Please, will you pray? And we have to stop running to those things. When we get squeezed in life, we have to stop running to those things that don't work. We'll see what does here in a second. In verse 49, I'm sorry, verse 40, and he cometh unto his disciples that findeth them asleep and said unto Peter, what could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and he left them And he went away again and he prayed the third time saying the same words. So he prayed the same words as what we see in verse number 42. Um, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. You see, the joy in a situation is not the situation changing. The joy in the situation is God changing us. It's not God taking away that problem. It's not God taking away that pressure. It's not God stopping to squeeze you. The joy comes when we say, God, even if you squeeze me, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to find my joy in you. There's a story that we all know in in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, if you want to turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 in verse number 8, Paul says this same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 8 says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, I had this problem, I had this difficulty, I had this situation in my life. What this thorn was, we don't know, we can guess all day. But Paul said, this thorn, it was in my flesh, and I begged God, but God did not remove the thorn, God gave me something to offset the thorn, and that was his grace. When we're going through problem and we're going through difficulty, we don't need God to change the circumstance, we need God to change us. Will you allow God to change you in that pressure? We ask God to use us, but we don't want God to squeeze us. A friend of mine is a pastor in Georgia, and he and I went to college together, and in college, I remember praying at times with him, with his brother, God, use us. God, use us any way that you want to. God, use us. Help us see people saved. Help us to see the lost come to knowledge of you. A few years ago, I got word that they had a new baby that was born to them. 
At three months of age, they found out that the baby had leukemia. And for six months, they struggled with medication after medication and procedure after procedure. And at nine months, that baby passed away. And the thing I told him was this. I said, you prayed that God would use you. But when God squeezes us, we say, God, I didn't mean like that. That's not what I meant. I mean, use me in a, in a different way, but don't use me like that. Don't squeeze me that way. God, that hurts too much. And God says, do you want me to use you? Then I need to squeeze you. And in our life, if you ask God to use you, beware that he is going to squeeze you. In verse 45, it says, Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It's great when we can say to those we are looking for help from, Sleep on. I appreciate your encouraging words, but I don't need them anymore. Jesus went to his disciples three times and said, please pray with me, please pray with me. But Jesus comes to them finally and he says, you know what? Sleep on. I don't need you now. Why? Because he found the grace for the problem that he was facing. Tonight, I want to ask you, are you being squeezed? Is there a situation? Is there a problem in your life? Is there something going on that maybe people know about, maybe nobody knows about? That you're being squeezed? Realize, number one, that his work is good. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to make you into something. Somebody once says, make your burden your bridge. Make your burden your bridge. If God is squeezing to you tonight, realize, number one, that God's work is good. Number two, stop reaching for things that don't work. Go to God. Allow him to work in your life. And number three, pray till his grace is sufficient. Pray till his grace is sufficient. Paul never lost his thorn, but he found God's grace. You may never lose that thorn that God has given you. God may never stop squeezing you, but he has grace for every need in your life.